Welcome to the ESPN Player College Football Show in association with Gridiron. I'm Simon Clancy, along as always with the editor Matthew Sherry. Matt, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very good, sir. How are you? Yep, very well, thank you. Very well, thank you. It is conference championship weekend, and we'll get into that in a little while. But, Matt, I wanted to pitch something to you this week, really. Uh, two things, really. Question one, uh, the, the, ra- the rankings came out on Tuesday evening, um, and for those that didn't see them, it's pretty much as you were. Um, the biggest question mark, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest question mark was always going to be around what happened with Oklahoma and Ohio State. Would Ohio State jump up, as some people predicted, as high as five over Oklahoma after their uh, 62-39 win over Michigan, or would they end up in sixth place given the fact that they'd lost to Purdue by four touchdowns, squeaked past Nebraska at home, and uh, squeaked past Maryland in overtime, and essentially when Maryland went for two. Um, as it turned out, they went to six, which I think is the right call, Matt. But it, it was interesting to see that, that Michigan stayed at seven and UCF, unbeaten UCF, could only get as high as eight. Two, two lost Michigan. And, and essentially, you know, the committee clearly valuing a catastrophic injury, uh, the one that we saw with Mackenzie Milton, over a convincing defeat, would you say? I think so. And, and I think it's, it's a decision made, really, to protect the, the quality of the, of the bowl games because... That's the only explanation for me. There's no way UCF should be below any two-loss team. That's that's the reality of, of the season they've had. But also, the, the second season they've had, they were unbeaten last year, beat an Auburn team who beat both contenders of the National Championship game in a bowl game. So, so yeah, and, and truthfully, it, it's not really fair, but I can kind of understand it in terms of they're wanting to pair the bowl matchups as best they can. And, and UCF... It's just awful, isn't it? And I, I, if Milton hadn't got injured, I would have wanted UCF to be ranked fifth. Um, I felt like it was trending that way anyway, and I'd have loved to have seen them in it. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have agreed with them being ranked fifth, but I would have wanted to see it, if that makes sense. I think Oklahoma deserved their, their spot at number five. But, but yeah, I, I feel like that is what's happened. The, the, the committee will deny that, but I, I, I find it hard to believe that that conversation wasn't had in the room. And it goes back to the point that Sonny Dykes mentioned earlier in the season that 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 you know having lost to, as SMU coach, having lost to to um, UCF and to Michigan, and saying there was barely any difference between the two teams, that actually there's only a certain proportion of teams that can win the national championship. Therefore, why are we bothering to do it in the first place? It just seems uh, ludicrous. Obviously, the Mackenzie Milton injury has completely changed things, and, and UCF clearly even if they got into the playoff, are now not going to win the, the national championship, given the fact that Milton accounted for, I think it was 79 touchdowns over the last season and three quarters. So, But it does seem very, very unfortunate. The, the thing I really wanted to touch on, Matt, I suppose, is that Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports wrote this very interesting column uh, this week, which was essentially the fact that the, the, the playoff doesn't need expansion. Ultimately, it needs reform. And the, the, the genesis of it was that, you know, college football essentially is wasting its time this weekend with a, a kind of a relic that is conference championship weekend. Uh, it, it's old, it's uncompetitive, there's no entertainment, and it's really not even a revenue, you know, generator because what's happening is these conference games are now moved to NFL cities essentially Dallas and Houston's and and places like that so they're being taken out of the hands of the college towns where money is pumped through when people come in for the games those sorts of things Uh, and and actually you can argue against playoff expansion because there would be too many games but if you scrap the conference championships and instead you started an 18 playoff this weekend this would this would be Wetzel's slate of games um, for the opening round of the current postseason, which would be Alabama against Georgia, 
oh, oh sorry, this is what it is this weekend. It's Alabama, Georgia, obviously. And really, Alabama only has to not lose by... 20? 20, 30 points. I mean, to, maybe 30. Because yeah, even, even with how dominant Alabama have been this season, if they lost by 25 this week... It's still a loss by 25 to Georgia. If Georgia won 50-20, I still don't think Alabama would drop out the top four. And I don't think they should, because yeah. they've been too good. I mean, they've won every game by at least 20 points this season. I mean, you've got number two Clemson against number 22 Pittsburgh. And Clemson really, you know, again, Clemson has to not lose by more than two touchdowns, realistically. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and they advance as the number two seed. I don't think they'd fall any further. Pitt obviously can't advance. Number three ranked Notre Dame at Idol. They're obviously advancing. You've got number five, Oklahoma, against number 13. Texas, Oklahoma obviously needs to win. Georgia needs to lose. And then they need a debate with Ohio State or have Ohio State lose to advance. Texas can't advance. And you've got Ohio State against Northwestern. Ohio State needs to win. Georgia needs to lose. Then they have the debate with Oklahoma if, or have Oklahoma lose. Northwestern can't advance. Then number seven, UCF against unranked Memphis in a meaningless game. Number 13, Washington against number 16 in the Pac-12, number 16, Utah in the Pac-12 Conference Championship. That game also is utterly meaningless. You know, but if you scrapped, and Wetzel's point was if you scrapped the conference championships, this is what you'd have instead. You know, you'd have um, five automatic bids for the major conferences, three at large bids, uh, and home sites for the first round. You'd have number eight Washington against number one Alabama in, in Tuscaloosa, number seven UCF against number two Clemson in Clemson, number six Ohio State against number three Notre Dame in South Bend, and number five Oklahoma against number four Georgia between the hedges. I mean, that is a astonishingly great slate of games isn't it and you know if if your answer is the former over the latter i.e. we want conference championships over the the games that I've just read out then I think you're either a bold director terrified of the playoff being staged in you know electric historic on campus stadiums whilst generating enough economic activity to keep the towns afloat for a year or well I mean you're in a sleep at the wheel conference commissioner because I just can't imagine anybody thinking that the, the games that we're going to see this weekend are, are better than that, that slate of four games. I mean, you have eight teams with legitimate claims to a playoff spot playing each other, or you can have Clemson against Pittsburgh. It's your choice. I mean, what, what's stopping us getting to, to Wetzel's promised land, as it were? Um, I, I guess I guess teams protecting... Well, I'm, I'm really not sure, actually, by this point. I was going to say teams protecting their own conferences, but West... Um, Wetzel's theory is that, you know, you'd have representation from the main conferences every year in the playoff, which I actually think would be great. I mean, I, I find it ridiculous that it isn't the case already. As, as as much as one conference can have a down year, I certainly would like to see Washington-Alabama this week, even though Washington have flattered to deceive a lot of the year. They've, it gives the Pac-12 some representation, but also they've just come off a, a great win against Washington State. They, they, they're really... I mean, I think it'll happen. That's ultimately, I think, how he describes it will happen. It takes, I think it takes some figuring out scheduling-wise because, you know, it's tricky. I mean, you could, you, could, you could conceivably have two unbeaten teams one year or two one-loss teams in the same conference. But then I guess if, if you get that, they're more likely than not to be in the top eight as well. It, it's a better system. I can't argue. I think this is a year where, this is a rare season with three unbeaten teams. And that's... That's kind of why we're in this position where, like, Clemson, for example, probably Alabama, can just afford to lose this week and still get in. Yeah. That doesn't happen every year. And, in fact, most years, you don't have any unbeaten teams. So I do think this is a perfect storm to write that article, but I also agree wholeheartedly with it because I think the one of the things stopping a playoff is 
is this championship weekend. But alternatively, say, si, I mean, we could easily rid the, the the schedule, regular season schedule, of one of these cup games that every yeah. team plays two or three <laughs> of a year as well. So I think there's multiple ways to do it. So you could still keep the sanctity of... I, th- I think having a conference champion is a good thing because, you know, for example, with Michigan now, I'm as disappointed at the fact that they're not going to win the Big 12 as I am, uh, the Big 10, sorry, as I am at the fact that they're not going to be in the playoff because I didn't think they'd win the playoff anyway. But, you know, they've not won the Big 10 for for several years and it would have been nice to, to win that title and, and give this Jim Harbour era a, a trophy. So I do I do think personally I'd, I'd rather a system where they took one of the the fat of the regular season games are, but by the same account, if it's a choice between what we have this week and what Wetzel's pitch, I would much rather have Wetzel's pitch uh, as well. I mean, for people saying that, oh, conference championship weekend, you know, you need to win the conference, we need to decide, you know, from the two divisions of each of those conferences, who's going to win. Well, there's seven conference championships to skate, this, seven championship God, I'll start that again. That's terrible. Seven conference championship games this weekend. Try saying that after a uh, pret a manger sandwich. Um, <laughs> But essentially, there's only one of them that's in any doubt heading into conference championship weekend in inverted commas. You know, Alabama won the SEC. Clemson won the ACC. Oklahoma won the Big 12. Washington won the Pac-12. There's, there's no debate here. All these games were settled on the field. You know, technically, Ohio State and Northwestern are both tied in the Big 10, I think, 8-1 and one league records. But ultimately, this is a product of... Uh, of a scheduling imbalance isn't it because Northwestern lost all three of its non-conference games including to Akron they also played a weaker schedule you know there's a hundred ways to break a tie and Ohio State would pretty much win them all this isn't hard is it I mean this isn't a difficult thing to do this could be very easily you know I think people would say that history would say that we need to carry on doing it well history mystery really it's you know surely it should be better for the better for the fans because ultimately they're well, the it's, ones it's, that it's the biggest argument against it again that the team who won the national championship last year were not playing this week you know Alabama didn't play in the SEC championship game last year because they lost to Auburn and therefore lost the West and Auburn played Georgia and Alabama won the national championship so if if there's ever an argument against the the whole sanctity of, mm. of these games that on last the field. season is is absolutely it. Play it on the field. And also, look, you get, you know, you, you get, you get huge, these are huge money generators. That 18 playoff would generate massive and far greater television contracts, not to mention bigger ticket sales in bigger stadiums, you know, 100,000, 105,000 in Tuscaloosa, for example, you know, uh, at higher prices because there's more demand. And uh, like I said earlier, a lot of that money would stay in these places that actually care about college football and not end up in faraway NFL towns like Dallas and Houston and Miami and, you know, wherever. It just seems to me to be ridiculous. I mean, I remember me and you saying, Si, last year after after leaving Brian Denny, you know, what a stadium that is. It would be awesome if it hosted a Super Bowl. Well, actually, it would be awesome if it hosted the biggest games for its own Mm. championship. You know, even a semi even a quarter final, and I don't think a semi final will ever happen because they've got that rotation of the Rose Bowl and all these games. And the Rose Bowl's the exception. I personally think the Rose Bowl should be should play host to the, the national, national championship, championship game yeah, every so every single year. I mean, but you know, it the, the, it would be awesome to have at least one playoff game in these teams' home stadiums. I mean, the, the atmosphere not, for on-campus playoff games would be incredible. Yeah, it would be it would be insane. They're missing a huge trick. I mean, 
you, you know, you send game day to every single one as well. Try you separate the games out if you can. I mean, that may not be possible, but you could certainly have a game day style presence at each of those oh, towns. It would be it would be absolutely electric. It's not like ESPN frankly, don't have enough people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes it makes too much sense. And frankly, if ESPN don't don't have enough people, then there's a couple of Brits over here yeah. that'll happily roll over <laughs> to one of them as well. But, but nobody's ever attended an NFL playoff game at Lambeau or at Heinz Field or at Mile High Stadium or anywhere, frankly. And you know, surveyed the the crowd pre kickoff and the frenzy and the atmosphere and the excitement of a playoff game and thought, God, I wish I spent fifteen hundred dollars to fly to Miami or to Atlanta for the uh, you know for a you know a kind of an antiseptic playoff game yeah. this is yeah. th- those games are at those stadiums because they are the great venues of american sport and when those it teams is. when those teams get to the playoffs they deserve to to host that home game and it, it's such a shame that tigers you know the clemson fans won't see Dabo swinney and trevor lawrence and those guys run down the hill you know hosting a playoff game and that you know you the same in tuscaloosa and the same wherever else around the country it just seems you know columbus and uh, and all these great stadiums uh, they, everybody's missing out and and it gets it gets away from you know i'm i'm writing a lot of history of the game type stuff at the moment and 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 college football always saw itself and still does as the heart and soul of the game and the purest form of the game and and certainly in the past that was more. But this gets away from that. This gets into the, you know, when you're playing it at the at Atlanta Stadium, as great as that stadium is, it's it's just everything that college football isn't about. I mean, we said that ourselves, Si. We went to that stadium a week after going to Alabama Stadium last year, and we were like, well, yeah, it's obviously incredible. It's like a town inside of a stadium, but... Give me the Alabama one. Give me that Michigan State one we saw a couple of weeks ago, which is not one anybody talks about, but it just it had a heart and soul to it, didn't it? And you want the college games played in those stadiums. Mm. I mean, look, in this year's first round of the playoff, four teams, including Georgia, can either not play or lose by a respectable score and still advance to the semifinals. Nine yeah. teams can win this weekend and not advance at all. And this is the system. I mean, the system is an ass. I mean, would we? Uh, the, you, what you could even potentially do is, I mean, this this would never happen. But because of the money made from from these kind of big meetings between an Alabama and a Florida State, and you p- play two games, you could even just play only games in your own conference for the regular season, mm. and then it and then it creates this unbelievable scenario where you're playing teams you've never yet played. I guess the only negative with that is it takes away some of the rivalry games. But could you have? One rivalry weekend where you play a team from a different conference. I mean, I think I think really there is a way to to draw this up that they're too far down the road with what they've got, but there's probably a much better system somewhere that I'm sure someone could come up with. But Wetzel's idea sounds a good one, and, and Wetzel's probably one of my favourite sports writers in the US as well. So, do you think it's history that's holding us back and tradition that's holding us back? Yeah, and, and it always has been. That's why it took us so long to get to the point of a playoff. But at the end of the day, you know, you're four or five years into a system that's much better than what preceded it. The national championship game was a system that was better than what preceded that, in which a committee just decided the national champion. So eventually, I think it gets to a better, a better system. But it, you know, nothing happens quickly with with this because, and it's, it's because of the negative of sport in that it's all profiting off the fans in the stadium. But the fans in the stadium don't decide what happens. It's guys in a boardroom with suits on, and that often means that things. Litigation and everything else makes it take more time than we'd like. 
That's the playoffs put to rights. So we'll get to the to the conference games this weekend shortly. Some coaching situations that have happened since we last spoke. Paul Johnson stepped down as Georgia Tech head coach. 189 career wins, ranked fourth among uh, amongst active FBS coaches. School announced yesterday that he will step down after the season after 40 years of coaching. Yellow Jackets' job's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because the the you know. It's a ripe recruiting area. They've won a national championship in the past. Uh, the great Ken Swilling-led team uh, under Bobby Ross. There is this is not a bad job at all, is it for um, for somebody to come in at, at Tech? Oh, it's it's probably as close to the richest recruiting grounds that you can get. And as much as you've got Georgia on your doorstep, it's not like you know there's a limit to how many players a year that you can recruit. Um, I think it's a great job. I find it fascinating with Georgia Tech, where they go in terms of, are they going to change the style of the triple option and are they going to move into something totally different? And I, find, I think that's a fascinating question to be answered because that'll dictate who's going to get the job. Interestingly, I, I, I saw that, that Ken Wisenhunt, the, the Chargers offensive coordinator, obviously played at Georgia Tech, is the kind of the top candidate on the, the, the names of certainly of the fans on message boards and things. Um, Clemson, Clemson offensive coordinator Tony Elliott uh, and uh, Alabama offensive line coach and former tech player Brent Key. But if they do keep it the, the same way with that triple option, then, then Jeff Munkin, who runs the triple option for, for Army, um, is also touted as a potential who could take over there. What do you think about the? the I mean, the biggest news yesterday really was was the the ongoing all day decision by Jeff Brom as to whether or not he would leave and go to Louisville. Uh, he was head coach. Uh, he was obviously played at Louisville. His father played at Louisville. His father coached at Louisville. His grandfather coached at Louisville. He has a house in Louisville. Uh, he is a you know he is Louisville through and through. And when the job came, he turned it down to stay in stay at Purdue. Uh, there was a, a kind of an ongoing battle yesterday between the two sort of rival newspapers of the area with the Purdue newspaper saying that Brom was absolutely going to stay, the Louisville paper saying he's absolutely going to leave. Um, in the end, he opted to stay at Purdue. And Purdue, uh, I read last night, Stuart Mandel had tweet, tweeted that Purdue have five four-star and above-ranked players as part of their yep. class coming through uh, next year, which is obviously a, a big reason why. And he certainly cultivated that area and starting to turn that recruiting round, and that was shown in the results that we've seen this year, notably the Ohio State victory. His high school, Trinity in Louisville, cancelled classes today because a bomb threat was made against the school on social media because of Brom's decision to, to turn them down. He attended Trinity, as did all his brothers. His father is an assistant coach. With the team, it, it was. It, it's. I mean, a. It speaks to the the incredible nature of college football that a lot of people don't really see. Just the the passion, the intensity, and I'm not saying that threatening to bomb a school is either passion or intensity because it's not. It's it's lunacy. But but you can understand why people in an area just got so fixated on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's this is fascinating because this this was the most obvious coaching match of of any in any sport that I could ever remember. It's not just that they're from Louisville. I mean, they they, they, they basically are Louisville in terms of mm. the whole family is like in the, the royal area family, is, really, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like you thought to yourself when Jeff Brom started coaching. You know, that was his dream job. I don't think it says a lot for what the Louisville job is. No. Um, and and that's one of those areas where it's a lot of older boosters and, and it's difficult it's a difficult situation in places like that sometimes. I also think what you've alluded to is key. I mean, 
Jeff Brom is building something with Purdue. I mean, for me, they could easily become a, a power in the in the Big Ten. I'm, you've got Rondale Moore, who is one of the most dynamic young players I've seen in college football in a long time. You've got, uh, as you say, for their standards, an incredible recruiting class that they're building this year. And you just wonder if you were sitting in Jeff Brom's shoes, do you really want to start all over again, even, even for that job? And this is a guy, actually, I think... This isn't someone who I just think will be a great college head coach. I think he could be an mm. NFL coach as well. So he's going to have opportunities again. I'm sure that if he wanted to get the Louisville job down the line, it could come up. But it feels like with Rondale Moore, I think, as a freshman, and you know, you want to see that through with some great players Absolutely. and keep building the class. It was a tough decision. I mean, an unenviable and enviable decision in many ways because it's a great position to be in, but also a very tricky call. And 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 great for Purdue that he stayed because that's a that's a program that could do with this and a program who also put that beating on Ohio State that looks better a, a lot better now even than it did then. So I just think there's something special about that this year with the with the kid who had cancer and everything like that. It feels like they've they've built a, a community feel there that, that that's the kind of thing that really makes college football great. So I think it's awesome that Brom is is sticking around to try and see it through and take them on a little bit further. This is the ESPN Player College Football Podcast, uh, brought to you in association, in association with Gridiron. I'm Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, the editor, is with me. Let's, Matt, get into the uh, games this weekend. We've, we've already kind of put uh, Championship Weekend to bed in terms of what it means, but in terms of the actual games themselves on the field, let's start with the biggest game of all, probably the biggest game of the season, which is uh, number one, Alabama, against number four, Georgia. How do you see this one playing out? Because for me, I think Georgia might well be the second best team in the country and the team that could really give Alabama a hard time. They're 10.5 point underdogs, but there are, there are chinks in the Alabama armor. I know everybody talks about how great they are, but you know they've, they've started very slowly the last two or three weeks, struggled against the Citadel, struggled last week to get out early. They've also struggled against the run a little bit over the last few weeks. And special teams, I think they've missed five extra points. They've had a number of field goal misses. They had a pump block last week against Auburn. These are areas with which, you know, with McCall Hardman in the return game for Georgia, um, who is a threat to go to the house at any point. Georgia have got great, outstanding, I think, as a unit, their receivers in terms of blocking yeah, their receivers the run game are, are outstanding. And, and with DeAndre Swift, who's just a, you know, looks a superstar in the making and pretty much a superstar already made, um, it, it feels like they have the sort of game that could really, you know, could really push Alabama plus the fact that it's back at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, home of the national championship last year, where Georgia lost to Alabama in overtime. There's the revenge factor, Jake from a year older. It should be a really good game and one that really sees Alabama pushed into the fourth quarter, I think, for the first time this season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I often look at these Alabama games and, and, and a lot of the time, what seems to happen is teams hang with them for for a spell. I mean, that doesn't always happen. They've blown a lot of teams out early as well. But late in the season, you often see teams hang with them. And then in the third quarter, fourth quarter, they just have superior athletes. And that's what it comes down to because they've, they've built up all these ludicrous recruiting classes year after year after year after year. And actually, Alabama are, are on course for maybe the greatest recruiting class of all time in the upcoming year, which is dreadful news for anybody who likes other teams in college football. But actually, Georgia are one of the only teams that can can stand up to that. Athletically, they, they have as good a, an athlete as Alabama do. And 
they're also one of the few teams that are well-rounded enough to beat Alabama. They're, they've got a great offense. It's diverse. It's they've got great wide receivers, a great running back, as you say. And I actually think their defense is better than Alabama's as well. I, I think Alabama's offense is better and Georgia's defense is better. Um, it, the question to me is which one is more better than the equivalent version on the other team. Mm. And and I think I think Georgia because. Because Alabama can almost afford to lose this week, I could see a scenario where Georgia win this game close. And that, to me, would... I'm, I'm really at odds in my own mind as to whether I want that to happen or whether I want Oklahoma to get in just because I would like to see Kyler Murray versus Tua in, in a semi-final. But it's going to be fascinating. I just have a feeling Georgia are going to win this game this week and then we'll see how the rest of it plays out from there. How much would Georgia have to lose by... For them to fall out of the top four, I mean, if they lose, they're out for me. Do you think even, if, just, they, even if they lose on a last-second field goal, twenty-three twenty, you know, in a great game, and uh, and it's essentially the last team that gets the ball, or if they lose I in overtime, the, I think they finish number number five if that happens. Interesting, because I I don't think that Ohio State would necessarily leapfrog them, but I just, I just think an Oklahoma team that would have avenged their only loss is difficult to keep out. It would be really harsh. I mean. Yeah, and you could argue that Georgia have had every chance to just win one of those two games that they've lost. Because ultimately so, what you'd say is that, that Georgia would have lost to an LSU team who will finish in the top 10. Oklahoma lost to a Texas team who are currently ranked 14. And if they lose to Oklahoma again, might fall, let's say, to 15. So in terms of strength of schedule, Georgia's would have been better. And Georgia would have lost to the number one team. I suppose it'd be two lost Georgia at that point and one lost Oklahoma, wouldn't it? It's a, such a tough one, isn't it? Such a tough one to call. It's Let's... tough. I, I, I think Oklahoma have got some better wins on their schedule, though. Like, it, I, I don't feel like Georgia have got... You know, West Virginia's a great win. I mean, I, I, I get that both team, neither team can play defence, but that's a really, really good win, and I think it's better than Georgia's best win. Let's get to Oklahoma against Texas, fifth-ranked Oklahoma against fourteenth-ranked the fourteenth-ranked Longhorns. Uh, it, it seems like the trash talk started has started already. This game finished forty-three forty earlier in the season. Cameron Dicker's forty-yard field goal at the end of the game. After it looked like Texas put the game away, only for Kyler Murray and the Sooners to come roaring back late in the fourth quarter. At the podium yesterday at the press conference, Kyler Murray was reminded how much he said he'd respected Alabama cornerback Tua Tungavailoa's game, which he reiterated. Then he was asked how much he respected the game of Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger. Murray apparently looked down, looked around, chuckled, and then said, I've got no comment on that whatsoever. Last night, Ellinger, borrowing a phrase from his head coach, then posted on Twitter, OK, cool, hook em. Um, he was then asked about the meaning of his tweet, was very coy about it, but it's kind of setting the tone for, for one of college football's most historic um, and most hostile, I suppose, rivalries out there, isn't it? Because this should be another absolute barn burner and a tough, hard-nosed slobber knocker of a game. Yeah, and this this is the one exception to... Well, there's two exceptions, these two games that we're talking about to the rivalry weekend rule, because these are just awesome games and you couldn't ask for any more than than Texas-Oklahoma for everything. I mean, it's such a great rivalry. We never used to get the championship game here, and this is where I think it works for this one. I mean, Texas haven't been in this kind of game now for a, for a long, long time. And that Oklahoma, I mean, you forget Oklahoma have been in the playoffs more often than not since it started. Like, they're used to these games. And I wonder if that ultimately will be the difference, because... 
you know, Texas Texas really outplayed Oklahoma in the first meeting. I mean, it ended up being a close game. I remember that was the game side that you turned off. Ooh. And I um I actually texted you and said, Look, you need to get this game back on immediately because it's gone crazy. Kyler Murray had had that ninety odd yard touchdown run. And and I would expect more of the same. It's gonna be fireworks, exactly like we said with the West Virginia game last week. It's guaranteed fireworks. So just watch it and enjoy it. I, I, I think Oklahoma will win, but it is at the back of my mind that really Texas completely dominated dominated them first time round. And actually, I feel like Texas can go up and down the field on Oklahoma every every time in the way that basically any team can. But actually, Texas have a slightly better defense than well, much better defense than Oklahoma, but also slightly better than your standard Big Twelve defense. So. I think Texas are more well-rounded, but ultimately Oklahoma win just because they're used to being in these big games. Let's go to the ACC Championship game. On paper, it looks like a very comfortable win for number two Clemson against unranked Pittsburgh, who lost last week to Miami. But the history, I suppose, Matt, is, is littered with, with Pittsburgh's wild upsets and near upsets uh, over the last sort of 10, 15 years, isn't it? I mean, you go back to... Was it 2002 where they beat Virginia Tech, number three ranked Virginia Tech? Hokies were 8 0 when they visited them at the start of the season. They ended up losing 31 28. It was back in 2002. Got it in front of me now. Uh, they beat in 2003, then they beat number five ranked Virginia Tech, 31 28. Uh, in 2007, they beat number two ranked West Virginia, 13 9. They beat number 10 ranked USF. They were unranked themselves, 26 21 in 2008. They beat. They beat. They almost beat Notre Dame, fourth-ranked Notre Dame. They lost in three overtimes in 2012. Um, they beat Penn State in 2016. They beat Clemson. They beat Notre Dame this yeah. year. And then in 2016, they beat third-ranked Clemson, 43-42. Last year, number two-ranked Miami. They they beat them by 10, 24-14 in Heinz Field. The history is littered, isn't it? With yeah, like you say, you almost beat Notre Dame this year. History is littered with Pittsburgh just showing up and getting huge, huge, you know, season-defining or season-changing wins, not just for them, but in terms of the, the whole shape of the national championship picture. They have almost been the, the bogey team for everybody that's been competing for a national championship over the past sort of 10, 12 years. Yeah, and you could see them doing it again. I, mean, I don't think they'll win, but I could see this being a game. I mean... Uh, last week's defeat looked awful against Miami, but they'd already sealed their place in the ACC Championship game. It's hard to know how much stock to put in that as a performance, because really, they were absolutely rolling before that point. I mean, after that Notre Dame game, they'd, they'd, they'd rattled off, I think, three or four straight wins, and they'd beat some decent teams within that as well, you know, Duke and... And, and Wake Forest are a decent team to beat on the road. I mean, so the, so they'd racked up some good wins. I just think they're, they're one of those week-to-week proposition teams where, a bit like Purdue were against Ohio State, where, you know, if they if they fail at one week, they could do it. The only caveat to that is Trevor Lawrence is becoming everything that we mm. have built him as all year, Si. I mean, he gets better every single week, doesn't he? I feel like... Yep. The guy we saw at the start of the season who was who looked very raw is very quickly turning into the guy we expected and also the, the guy who has everybody excited. I mean, you know, it was interesting last week, a game where the Clemson defence, which has been incredible, they had their first down week in several weeks and, 
And Lawrence really, really made up for that. I thought he, I thought it was his best game of the season by a mile against South Carolina. I mean, the, the, not many teams. If you'd have told me before that game that South Carolina would put up thirty-five points, I'd have said, "Wow, that'll be a close game." Mm. Clemson put up fifty-six. Trevor Lawrence put up the most yards that he's had yet in his career. So I, I, I mean, I'm desperate for Clemson to just get the job done because. You know, it, it's it's so exciting to watch Lawrence playing at this level, and it, you just want to see him across the field from the Kyla Murrays and the Tuatunga Vilos. I mean, that's what we want. But I'd, I would watch this game if I was from a neutral perspective, because Pitt are the kind of team who will make a game of it. The interesting thing about Clemson is, I think that they obviously will need to shut down Quadre Olison and, and, and Darren Hall, the two very good Pittsburgh running backs, uh, and really running the ball was how Pittsburgh defeated Clemson a couple of years ago. The one concern I have for Clemson is their special teams. Looking at the numbers, their special teams are terrible. I mean, they have the number one ranked defense in the nation, the number six ranked offense. Their special teams are 88th in the country um, in terms of in terms of special teams played. They are um, their offense is the I, I think field position wise that they struggle with field position. They're a very hit and miss special teams unit, which is rare for a Clemson team. That could come back to haunt them when it comes down to the the nitty gritty of looking further towards the playoff, assuming they get past Pittsburgh. Could could hurt them and Alabama. The two mm. teams we've pointed it out on. You can't have bad special teams. That's one area where I think Georgia excel. have got mm. a really good kicker. And 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 we're starting to get the point now where you, unless Alabama are literally the greatest college football team of all time, which is very possible, not ruling that out at all. But we are starting to get to the point where we're hitting games where it's those little difference makers that will ultimately determine who wins and loses. And yeah, absolutely, I feel like that's a, a thing that should be pointed out. Same with Bama. And I mean, one thing I'd pointed out about Michigan, for example, last week that really bit them hard against Ohio State was their red zone defence. So it's little things like that that maybe, you know, in the wider context of a big season, you don't notice because these teams usually roll over opponents every week that, that really can make the difference at this time of year. Big Ten Championship, Ohio State against Northwestern. Buckeyes have won two of the last four Big Ten Championships and they've dominated Northwestern in recent years. This, on paper, again, looks like a comfortable win for Ohio State, doesn't it? But then I, I, mean, suppose the question, does, it, I suppose the question it, is which Ohio State shows up. Week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it's the whole, if if it's the Ohio State that showed up in every game except for the Michigan game, then absolutely not. Like I would say that Northwestern have every chance of beating them. The the one thing I would say about Ohio State, and and I hate to say this because I really don't like Ohio State for obvious reasons, is why I'd be interested almost in having them in a playoff. Is I just remember that season that they won the title, Meyer's only title at Ohio State. You know, nobody was looking at them, and it just feels like on the big game, they're the anti-Michigan on the big game in the big occasion. Evan Meyer is able to get his players to perform, and particularly his big players. I mean, Dwayne Haskins was awesome last week. Mm. I think of all the games where you know Percy Harvin was electric for Florida or Tebow, you know, and 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 that's why they are still a fascinating team, regardless. Of, of anything else and also similar to what I said about Georgia Alabama in, in that Georgia have the athletes Ohio State have the athletes and that's what we said all season is it's weird to see Ohio State play like this because they've had all these great recruiting classes they've been top three in recruiting basically since Maya got there every single year so but this is exactly the kind of game based on what we've seen this season that they could lose but what the, the only thing I think this week is 
Urban knows that they need to win this game very, very, very convincingly and almost make a statement to the committee. Was it was it Wisconsin last year that did the same thing too? Yeah. Where they absolutely blew them off the field. Yeah, yeah. And we, we I mean they did the same to Michigan last week. So so they could easily do that again. And if they do do that, then it becomes an interesting conversation between them and Oklahoma. Let's flip to the to the West Coast, the Pac twelve championship game, Washington against Utah. Again, on paper, you'd say that Washington would be the favourite, especially with the injuries that Utah have had, specifically to running back Zach Moss. Although, to be fair, Armand Shine has stepped in and done really well, 174 yards rushing against Oregon. Um, the play of, uh, of Jason Shelley, uh, who's, who's played the last three games instead of Tyler Huntley. But I think the, the, the loss of Moss um, should be enough to see Washington over the line, especially with the way that Miles Gaskin is playing, because he went off big last week, didn't he, in the victory over Washington State. Yeah, I, I think Washington will win this game fairly comfortably. I mean, last week's game was Washington's Big 12 championship game for me, going into Pullman and beating Washington State, which is, I was disappointed about that as I was about Michigan, to be honest. But yeah, I think I think Washington have, you know, it's been another good season. It, it, it's the kind of been the classic Chris Peterson season with maybe an extra loss. I mean, they, they seem to just win a lot of games, but never the, the biggest of the big games, except for the, the their in-state rivalry game. So... Yeah, another good season for Washington, but this is this is what we're getting at. I mean, I've I've never had less juice for 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 a big for big conference games than I maybe do mm. this one, the Big Ten game and and um, and the ACC game. As much as I think, I think the ACC is the most interesting of the other three with Pitt. But yeah, I think Washington will win this fairly comfortably. Daryl Mack, Daryl Daryl Mack will take over at quarterback. For, for Mackenzie Milton in the AAC Championship game against Memphis, a game that UCF, regardless of who's at quarterback, should comfortably win. Mac uh, played very well actually when when Milton went down last week. Had a seventy-yard touchdown run. He's a dangerous runner. He's obviously not the you know he's not Mackenzie Milton. I don't think many people are, but he's clearly got a good college football future in front of him. Do you think he has enough to take them past you know a very average Memphis side? You know, I apart mean, from he- Darrell Henderson. He should do. I mean, the, the one thing to remember, though, is that Memphis are the one team who really nearly beat UCF during the regular season. Yeah. I think it was like a, a three-point game it or was. something, if I remember rightly. So, in fact, it was a one-point yeah, one game. It was one-point game, 30, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, you, I would think so. And I really want UCF to finish finish unbeaten now, especially for, for Milton. I mean, that was one of the worst injuries yeah. I've ever seen. It was 62-55 last year as well, wasn't it, in the in the yeah. ACC, AAC title game? They've, they've consistently played them pretty tough, Memphis. So so I think this could actually, from a from a game perspective, be, be really interesting to watch, but it's just so disappointing. I mean, yeah. and disappointing for next season as well, because we'd already kind of set the table for, for Milton to be there again for one last season, and... and and that really takes away one of the, the exciting storylines because I don't think he's ever going to play football again. No. I mean, by the sounds of it, he was lucky to, to keep his legs. So, yeah, so yeah it's, a, it's a bit of disappointment, but, but hopefully for him and for everybody else, UCF can, can fi- finish off a second unbeaten season. Yeah, if you didn't hear, Milton had obviously uh, essentially a traumatic right knee injury, didn't he? But also had nerve damage, had serious blood flow issues. Of His family released a statement. He, he took a helmet to the knee in the second quarter of the game. And, uh, I mean, I, I would advise strongly against not looking at the photographs if you want to keep your dinner inside you. Um, 
but he went underwent emergency surgery, didn't need to repair the blood flow issue on Friday night, but is going to have to have then reconstructive surgery to repair his knee at a later date. The family said that his blood flow had been restored to his right leg. The nerve is very seriously injured but intact. Mackenzie is recovering and healing and is receiving the very best medical care possible. At a later date, he will have reconstructive uh, surgery to repair his knee. I mean... <laughs> It reminds me, it's slightly reminiscent of the injury that, that, that Jalen Smith suffered for Notre Dame um, in the bowl game. Now he's kind of back to look, looks to be close to the form that he showed um, really three years ago, wasn't it? When he was in college before before the, the injury with which he, he very seriously damaged knees, ligaments, but also um, had an issue with blood flows and nerve, blood flow and the nerves. Um, huge shame for Milton. Um, huge shame for UCF, but I, again, I think they'll probably get past Memphis on this sort of down conference championship weekend. That is it for this week. Um, we shall be back next week. Don't forget Clancy on campus. Don't forget the video, which will be out tomorrow, where you'll be able to see me looking tired and exhausted uh, and talking about the three best games to look out for, but also why I think uh, certain teams will beat others. Um, any more for any more, Matthew? Just that it's good to have Matt Brown back. That's going to be oh, fun yeah, of to course. see how that, that, that Brown happens North with Carolina. UNC. I think um, somebody had a list of stuff that the last time Matt Brown was at UNC, what was uh, what was going on in the world. And uh, it was a very different world to the one that we live in now, where uh, I think... Uh, was Tua Tungavala even born when Matt Brown was at UNC? I don't think he Probably was. Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. Scary. Scary. Right. Thanks for listening. We shall be back next week. Don't forget ESPN Player, your home of college football. 700 plus live games throughout the season. The on-demand system is great. If you're looking for NFL prospects, uh, and this is a good time of year to do it as the kind of the, the bowl games ramp up and you want to kind of, if you've not been following it all the way through, get back on the on-demand system and have a look at some of the players out there. Quarterbacks like Drew Locke and uh, Easton Stick at North Dakota State and some of the interesting guys. Um, and, uh, and Then a whole raft of documentaries from the 30 for 30 catalogue, which uh, will keep you occupied throughout the cold winter evenings. Uh, ESPNU, the SEC Network, the Longhorn Network, um, so much to go out, so much programming. I mean, I was watching Florida State women's football team, the soccer team the other day, which was <laughs> for about half an hour, which was, uh, which was fascinating. You can watch all of that on ESPN Player. We shall be back next week. Thanks to Matthew. I am Simon. Goodbye. There you go. What are you up to this weekend? Uh. Hello, you're listening to the Horse Ramble Daily, where we'll be covering all of your horse needs. And there's more. Every day during the Cheltenham Festival, Betway are giving you the chance to win £50,000 in the free-to-play for-to-win game. Head to betway.com to play now. Up next, more horses. Horse, horse, horse. Horse, 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 horse. <laughs> Full time supply, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org.